Alright guys, welcome back to another wonderful episode of Chuck Goes to the Movies, where we talk about different films or filmmakers that impact our lives or influence our love for movies. And today I'm being rejoined by a former guest, Stephen, and we're going to be talking about a movie that I have learned to finally love, and I actually have Stephen to thank for that. Stephen, welcome back to the show. Hello! That was very energetic. Right. I like that. Thanks. <laughs> I'm recording standing up the way I don't have a, a desk chair yet. I just moved. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I've got my like a standing desk situation going on. So I'm like super pumped. Yeah, you got you got some good energy going. Mm-hmm. I like this. Let's yeah. channel it into an absolutely amazing talk about what are we talking about again? Midsummer. <laughs> Midsummer. Oh no. <laughs> We've already gone wildly off the oh, rails. Oh no. I've been up since 3:30 this morning. Everybody give me a break. Yeah. Um but no, Midsummer, an absolutely fantastic film. So, you know, like I said, uh Steven is the reason that I actually love this movie now. I watched it for the first time oh, months ago. I don't remember. Like earlier this year at some point and after i finally finished it i'm just like what the hell did i watch this movie is trash this is garbage and i hadn't seen hereditary yet which was ari aster's first outing so i was basing i was already judging hereditary by the end of midsummer i was like there is absolutely zero chance i'm gonna love anything that this guy does it is stupid it is like i couldn't wrap my head around it and you're actually the reason i watched hereditary because you had recommended you wanted to do that for your first episode on this uh, show. So I did watch it, fell in love with it. Great film. I could just, I could probably spend the rest of this episode talking about that, but we've already done a hereditary that, episode. Yeah. So you convinced me during that episode to give Midsummer another chance, but to go into it with the mindset that it is a black comedy. And so I did. And you were absolutely right. It completely changed my perspective on it. But not only did I have this new perspective of this movie, I was able to appreciate some finer details that I did not catch the first time watching it. And that was how he foreshadows the entire movie's events throughout the entire movie. Like, he he tells you what's coming. Yes. You just have to be paying attention to it and I, I I thought that was brilliant absolutely brilliant and made the experience of watching this movie so much better for me so before I ask you why this movie means a lot to you or how it has impacted your life or influenced your love for movies I got to ask you your question of the episode 
Oh, I'm so excited. I, I hope you are because I'm not even excited <laughs> about this question. Um, oh, no. <laughs> so, in honor of it being October and we're talking about uh, horror-themed topics, I have my question for you today is about villains in movies, Ooh. horror villains. Ooh. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like a very well-known villain, but just in your general experience of horror movies, if you could pick a horror movie villain to be your best friend, who would it be and why? Okay, hold on. I know exactly who it is. I just don't remember his name exactly. Oh my God. If you choose oh, the gosh. same person I'm thinking of, the, I'm going to be like floored. Okay. All right. So for me, and I actually just watched this yesterday. I think it was, or maybe it was a couple of day, days ago now. I don't actually remember. But um, have you ever seen the Tales from the Crypt movie, Demon Knight? No. Okay. Billy Zane plays the villain in that called the collector. And he's like an Eve is like if the genie was evil. <laughs> okay. He's hilarious. <laughs> like Billy Zane choose the scenery in that movie. He's incredible. He's not in it nearly as much as I want him, but it's like the movie in general is really great. Like if you're, even if you're not a fan of tales from the crypt, I think this kind of elevates above that a little bit. Um, I like some of the, some of the stuff out of that, not a whole lot. Um, I think some of it's fairly subpar. Yeah. But Demon Knight is a really great, like, like you can pop it on at a party and it can play in the background and it's fun. <laughs> it's also a lot of fun to just sit down and watch and experience because it's the story is really well told. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And like I said, Billy Zane is like he plays effectively a demon um, and he's chasing after uh, this guy who's carrying a flask full of the blood of Christ. And it's, it's a whole thing. The movie's great. It's it's and it's very funny, but Billy Zane, like I would love to hang out with that dude. Um, yeah. So that's my answer. I was actually just thinking about that today. How much like he's like, might be one of my favorite horror movie villains. Wow. Okay. So I've never even heard of this movie Weird. and oh, so good. Where can I find this? Cause now you've got me very interested in wanting to watch it. Ooh. That's a great question. I'm have Let's to Google see. It. Watch movie. Um, it's on Amazon prime. Ooh. Is it with the subscription? It might be with the subscription. Mm. That would be amazing if it is. I can't. I don't know. It's not letting me look. It looks like you, if you have Amazon Prime, it's on there. Okay. Well, then I'm definitely going to have to go take a look for that because I'm completely fascinated. And Billy Zane is a completely underrated actor, by the way. I think he's right. brilliant. This is a. Uh, we were uh, not to pull back the curtain too much. We were talking about Tucker and Dale yes. before this started. Yes. <laughs> and we were talking about how I I lament that there are, there is not more Tucker and Dale. I really wish there was more Billy Zane being a crazy wacky demon who's like really evil but also like is just goofing around and like he's doing these really funny voices and i mean he's just hamming it up and having a great time well i can't wait to watch it then i get i have a four-day weekend coming up so i oh, there we go i yes. think i just found something i'm gonna watch you have to let me know what you think of it once you finish it. Will do. So you completely just blew my mind with that answer because when you said you couldn't remember the name of the character, I really thought you were going to end up saying the same person that I was going to um, choose. So have you ever seen the movie Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon? No. Oh. I don't know what that is. Brilliant. Absolutely. I'll look it up right now. Brilliant film. 
Uh, it's about it, it. It's very horror. It's done in a nice horror style. It's supposed to be kind of like a a documentary of sorts. So they're following around a serial killer, and they're trying. And he's teaching them all the tricks of the serial killing trade and stuff like that. You know, like how to keep your heart rate low so people think you're dead and stuff like that. How to chase people. It, it's. I'm not doing the description of this movie any time, any type of justice. Uh, Leslie Vernon would be the guy I want to, I would want to be best friends with and hang out with, just because he's so smart, he's energetic, he's very, uh, he's very out there, sociable and stuff like that. But he's a madman. He's a killer. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, that's they can be charismatic. Yeah, that's, in fact, many times they are. That's kind of the problem. Yeah, that's very true. You know, I, I put it right up there with, uh, you know, Dexter would be a close second. He's not a horror movie oh, villain, but Dexter, you know, but still, still. Oh, I along that vein, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have a, a second. I have a second answer. Oh yeah, go ahead. Okay, have you ever seen the movie Creep um, with Mark Duplass? I have not seen it, but I have heard of it, and it is on my like watch list on Amazon. You have got you've got to watch part one and two. Like <clears throat> the sequel is is just as good because of how much it changes from the original one. But Mark Duplass in that first of all, he's great. I love him and everything that he's in. Um, they like they make what I like to call mumblecore horror <laughs> with this. Like I don't know if you know what mumblecore is. It's uh, it's kind of like. Like those, like very indie films, like artsy fartsy indie films about um, mildly depressed millennials. Kind of is like my description of it. I've never um, even heard. I was like, oh, I know of mumble rapping, but I don't know about mumble. No. <laughs> Mumblecore movies. Yeah, okay. it's kind of like uh, that's kind of like um, the the only thing I can really think of how to describe it. Okay. It's, it's difficult to describe. Like, have you ever seen Jeff Who Lives at Home? Oh gosh, a long time ago. Um. That that would be a mumblecore movie. Okay, all right, all right. That's what I would describe as a mumblecore. So, like, Creep is a horror mumblecore movie. Okay, this is what I like. And like, he is again. He's he's a crazy person, but he's so affable and like sweet and nice. Like, I would love to hang out with him. <laughs> all right. Well, then uh, I'm possibly have a second and third movie to watch this weekend. Awesome. Great. I'm just adding them up. I'm stacking Stack them. them up. Well, those were good choices. Good choices. So let's dive into the meat and potatoes of this film, Midsummer. So before we uh, really talk about how it's impacted our lives or influenced our love for movies, let's just put out some information about this movie real quick. So it was released July 3rd of 2019. It had a budget of $9 million. It did $6.5 million on its opening weekend domestically, grossed $27.4 million domestically, and did a worldwide gross of forty seven point nine million. So kind of low numbers. Yeah, but still But it is an independent film. Nine million is seems incredibly low for how incredible this movie looks. Like it looks oh it's incredible and nine million dollars is not a lot <laughs> for for no. making a film. But I mean, you know, for I, I guess probably the most expensive part of the whole movie was probably just getting the actors. And it's not like they were, you know, A-list stars and stuff like that. Not to not to knock on them. No. And you, as soon as we get to the cast list, I've got wonderful things to say about mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's not... It's Again, you're not like having Brad Pitt, Jennifer Anderson, George no. Clooney in this movie. You know, you got, you got wonderful actors, but they're not going to cost you a lot. And probably the co most costly thing aside from them was the fact that they went to Hungary 
um, and built and filmed all that this. stuff. Yeah, and just and just built a, a, a little village, a cult. Yeah, they built a cult. They, they actually, there was a real cult that they made. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was half expecting Pyman to show up at any moment. <laughs> um, not really, because I didn't know who Pyman was at the time I watched this movie. Well, that's right. But uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. So that's how it did at the box office. It's very well received by critics. It has an eighty-three uh, percent. Rating on Rotten Tomatoes, certified fresh, but it has a 63% on the audience score. And I can understand that as well, because this is definitely, it's a big step away from Hereditary. So people who were a fan of Hereditary probably walked into this expecting something very similar. And it was a departure. It really was. A lot of the same, you know, attention to detail and a lot of uh, that kind of stuff that was still in there. But it was, this movie this movie was out there. Yes. Um, and I I really feel like a lot of people didn't give it that second chance, unfortunately, um, like you were able to convince me to do. And I, I really feel like if most of these people gave it a second chance, that score would be changing. Yeah. Very easily. I think a lot. I mean, we talk about this a little bit in the Hereditary episode, but like the, the advertising for this film didn't really do it any favors. Um, it, yeah. It's very misleading as like this. It looks like a visceral horror movie and it's it's a it is an existential horror movie uh in a lot of ways but um i like i was loving it because i was open to whatever it was going to be and i'd kind of heard him you know talking about it leading up to its release so i'm like i am that sounds great i'm in whatever that is i'm in um but when it got over i was like oh a lot of people are going to be really mad at this movie because it's not what that trailer (laughs) is at all i loved it lots of people will not (laughs) well yeah and uh the audience have spoken again kind of a low score for the audience but like i said critics did like it so just to highlight a few of the reviews that the critics left so ty burr from the boston globe midsummer understands that the scariest things sometimes happen in broad daylight and that is something i really caught on to during the second rewatch aside from the very beginning of the film which is taking place mainly at night Mm -hmm. um the rest of it is all happening during the day so all your your truly horrifying sequences and uh, scare scenes and stuff like that are happening again in broad daylight like tyber said yeah. so i love that fact that you know in a typical horror movie where hereditary is completely dark and almost yes. everything is happening at night this was uh, one of those you know flip the switch oh it's daylight but you're still horrified about what you're watching and what's happening all around you, whether it's the outright gore horror or the suspenseful horror, or even like the grossed out horror. And I'm talking about that stupid little pie Mm. that was made. Oh, that Mm. was just so gross. Um, (laughs) uh, We'll get there. Richard Roper. (laughs) We will get there. Richard Roper had this to say, midsummer tests our patience more than once before delivering some seriously grisly and wonderfully twisted material in the final act. And I honestly feel like this is one of the few times that I agree like 100% with what Richard Roper said. That's exactly it. You have to have a certain level of patience through this movie and the payoff. Yeah. The payoff. So actually I have, it's kind of like what we talked about in hereditary kind of. Yeah. There's, I have some notes on like, because I think I talk about it in Hereditary, how 
I think the pacing is not great in this movie, but I think there's a yes. reason. I think there is an intentional reason why it is paced the way that it is. And I don't think it can be paced any other way. Well, I can't wait to actually discuss that because Sorry. I think you and I have a very similar thought on this. Yeah. Um, so we will get there as well. Any, uh, any film information that you know of uh, in regards to its release and things like that that you would like to share? Ooh, um, as far as its release, no, there's, I mean, other than like, there's that, that crazy alternate version that's, um, like three hours long. Uh, <laughs> and there's a, there's another cut that, uh, Ariaster talks about in an interview that was closer to four hours long. And I Good would Lord. love to see what is in that thing. Like, yeah, like what like, more could you possibly put in there? You, like he, we talked about before this movie tests your patience pretty hard, but like, the amount of character building, because that's kind of what the entirety of the movie is, is character building, and then things happen. Yes. Uh, not to jump ahead too far in the podcast, but so like that, those are really interesting things like a, a horror, fairy tale, comedy, whatever you want to call this, that's almost four hours long. What is even in that film? <laughs> I, I, I want to see that. Even it's um, probably not great. Again, the pacing's probably way worse, but I would love to see what is in there. I would just love to see the director's cut without having to spend a hundred something dollars for it. Yeah, so, that'd, be, you know, that'd be pretty awesome. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't even begin to know what they're gonna charge me to see the four hour version. <laughs> it's actually funny, you know, you talk about uh uh it's not just the pacing and stuff like that, you know, it's uh it's a fairy tale comedy thing like that do you know how arias uh, why do i always screw up his name how ari aster uh described this movie i think he i, I want to say that he called it a an adult fairy tale and a black comedy at one point i mean like that's the things that i remember him saying he one. did use those words but he also called it just a great content oh, oh i'm gonna screw it up hold on let me uh, pull up my actual notes he uh he called it essentially a breakup movie yes okay yes that so that was the very first thing that i heard him say that it was a breakup movie the oh here it is here it is right here yeah um aster has repeatedly said the film is thematically about a really bad breakup which I guess he wrote this while going through one. Interesting. Um, which really like it says a lot. Like when you look at the ending of this movie, uh, I'll be interested as to your interpretation of the ending of this movie. Cause I feel like that's a really good, like uh, I'm always interested. I'm like, okay, what does this say about you and how you interpret the end of the movie? Uh, probably will mean that I'm a sociopath. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, so with that being said, how has this movie impacted your life or influenced your love for movies? What is so special about this movie for you? Um, I think like, uh, like uh, coming off of the breakup thing, uh, I was watching a few other interviews in preparation for this, um, just to try and gather as much information as I could on it. Um, where he talks about, he wanted to make a breakup movie feel as big and catastrophic as it does to people in the relationship because when a re yeah. when a relationship dissolves um and you're not in it it doesn't it, 
you can feel bad, it does not seem cataclysmic. Like it doesn't, it's not this cosmically horrific thing. Um, and I could say from just personal experience right now, like the, like this is existentially horrifying to watch. Um, Mm -hmm. and it captures that, like that sickening feeling of like, you can see the seams of like the seams of the relationship are, are, falling apart at the beginning of the film um Mm -hmm. and you just see it get tugged at and tugged at um as it progresses and like some of the conversations that they have like when he forgets her birthday and then she apologizes to him for not reminding him it's her birthday i was like oh my god that i can't like realistically i can't think of a more nightmarish situation to be in than you're in that kind of a relationship where it's (laughs) Or like they're at the party um, and uh, at the beginning and she finds out he plans on traveling to Sweden without her at the party like a week before they go. It's like, yeah, that was that was very uncomfortable. I was just like, oh, <laughs> God. Yeah, you're just like, oh, you just wrenching curl up and like turn away. You're like, this is so bad. Oh, my God. Um and then, like, and then, like, immediately after the party, she just wants to talk to him. She's like, "Please don't leave. Just talk to me right now." Um, and I mean, like, it's it's kind of the thesis of the entire film, but like, how much she is like fighting for that relationship, trying to justify how <clears throat> she's probably too much. Like when she's talking to her friend on the phone. Um, mm-hmm. at the beginning is like, Oh, maybe I'm pushing him away. I'm too much. I'm always dragging him into my family crap and things like that. Um, all while his friends are kind of egging him on like, dude, she's the worst. Like she's just wasting your time, blah, blah, blah. Um, and like, it's, I don't know. There's, there's something, the way that this film captures that horror is so gut wrenching in a way that I've never seen in a film before. I don't, very good, I don't know if that answers the question. But <laughs> I don't know if that well, informs yeah. how I love how it's changed my love of movie movies or anything like that. But like, I don't know. It's I don't think I've ever seen the dissolution of a relationship so like maybe maybe not necessarily like on a surface level well portrayed, but the feeling of it is so well portrayed. Absolutely. And it's kind of like you just you just alluded it to alluded to. So the first time you watch it, you know, you're you're picking up on all this and stuff like that. But now, you know, not not to keep dragging you into, you know, your your personal thoughts here and stuff like that. But this is something that you can now personally connect with, Mm -hmm. you know. So watching it play out now versus back then, it's going to hit you just a little bit differently. And you thought it was gut wrenching then; it's even more gut wrenching oh, yeah. now. You're just like, so I can. So, def- oh. <laughs> so yeah, I I can see how this has influenced your life in a lot of different ways because you know it really gives you that perspective as to you know people go through these really bad breakups. It does happen, but you never really movies and TV shows have a hard time really expressing mm-hmm. that emotion, that raw emotion that goes through uh, the guilt that is there. You know, he feels guilty throughout the entire film yep. about how 
he basically keeps sticking around and like stringing her along when he wants out of the relationship. She feels guilty because she feels pretty much the same way. Like I'm keeping him tethered when he doesn't want to be here and stuff like that. She's feeling that guilt. They're making each other feel that guilt and stuff like that. There's just a lot of back and forth going on between the two and anybody in who's been in a relationship, whether it's a good relationship or a bad relationship can relate to some of these qualities. Yeah. I was just about to say like, you can like, I saw myself in both of those characters. Like I have been both of those characters at different points in time, which is just like, Oh, what a terrible mirror to look into. (laughs) Like, like, Oh man, he like, he's so like areas are like just as much as a director as he, I think, just as much a director as he is a writer, I think he is so unfathomably talented. Yes. Like whether you like what he does or not, because I've, I've talked to people who genuinely don't like hereditary or midsummer. They have to admit that his writing, like the way he writes characters and then the way he frames them and directs his actors, like he is, creating characters in a script and then pulling performances out of actors that I don't think I've ever seen before. Agreed. Absolutely agree. And especially just thinking hereditary here, that is the best performance I've ever seen Tony Collette give absolutely in her career. Yeah. Like in, again, like with the places that, that Florence Pugh, the actress in, in midsummer goes to here, mm-hmm. like it is like, like she, you can see her breaking down with anxiety in a way that again, I don't think I've ever seen in a film before. I'm like, I feel her anxiety by like the way she can't breathe and the look on her face. Like he's pulling these performances out of actors. That is like a feat to watch. Absolutely. Anyway, again, don't know if that's answering your question. (laughs) No, I think, I think it answered the question quite clearly. And, you know, I'm going to take the other route here where I don't think it's influenced or impacted my life in any way, shape, or form, but it has influenced my love of movies. More particularly, it's influenced me to go back and give movies I may not have liked the first time around a second go. Mm. Because, again, you know, you miss things on the first watch, or you can go back into it. Now that you've seen it from beginning to end, you have this expectation in your head, maybe you can go into it with a new mindset or a different perspective and enjoy it in a different capacity. Whereas for, you know, that's what you did for me. And like I said earlier in this episode, I was also able to pick up on a lot of the beautiful, stunning detail Mm. that he put into it, helping you see the story before it happens, but you just don't realize you're seeing the story before it happens. And if you picked up on that on the first time around, good on you. That's actually, uh, I did that. That's going to feed into some of the things I would change. <laughs> later. Uh, oh, well, it'll be an interesting okay. conversation. Okay. I guess I'm not deep enough to find no, it on the first time around. Oh God. This episode's <laughs> going to make me sound like a real douche. Uh, all right. So this is your last episode you're ever doing with me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and you're out. Get all right. So I'm going to replace you uh, mid episode here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about the cast a little bit we've already talked about her uh, uh, for a few minutes here Florence Pugh uh, she played uh, Danny in this film (coughs) goodness 
I don't know why I'm coughing so much. Corona. Uh, She played... (laughs) She played Danny in this film. Uh, she's only got 19 acting credits. Yeah, she's, to her she's name. not been around for very long. No, not at all. Uh, she's got a couple of upcoming projects. I didn't go to. I didn't go and see what they were. But she has been in a few things that I did recognize, and a majority of the stuff I didn't recognize. Most recently, she was in that very very short film called Father of the Bride Part Three ish. Really. Did you? Oh my God! Did you see this? No. All right, all right. So, are, do you like the movie uh, Father of the Bride, Father of the Bride Two, with Steve Martin? I've only seen the first one, and I really enjoyed it. So. Okay, so the entire cast got back together to do uh, a little mini, like a little mini movie on Netflix. Uh, it was only maybe like I don't know, 10, 11 minutes long, uh, and they were doing it like as a Zoom meeting, social distancing, and stuff like that. There was definitely yeah. some political commentary behind it, but. Uh, it was absolutely fun to watch, and she played one of the characters um, in this little uh, movie. And is again just a fun thing to watch. So that was one of the most recent things she did. She was also in 2019's retelling of Little Women. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't either. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know I've, how I've I feel and, about it. I've read and seen Little Little Women so many times now that I'm just like they're doing it again. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know. Uh, in my mind, you know, the Winona Ryder one is the Little Women I'll watch from here on out. Right. Uh, yeah. Also in 2019, she was in Midsummer, And then she was in this movie called Fighting With My Family. I recognized the title, but I never actually saw the movie. I, I wanted to see this, and I didn't even realize that she was in this. Because um, it's got uh, Nick Frost of uh, the Cornetto Trilogy fame. Yes. Uh, so I was like, ooh, that's something he's in. He's funny. And it's got The Rock. The Rock's always fun. And it's about wrestling. I just haven't yeah. gotten around to seeing it yet. Exactly. Yeah. It just uh, I, I remember the title. I remember seeing the previews for it. But yeah, like you said, just never got around to watching it. Mm-hmm. She was in 2018's Netflix movie, The Outlaw King. Uh, she was in... A movie also in 2018, The Commuter with Liam Neeson. And that was the last thing I recognized her in. So she's still she's still new. She's still fresh on the scene. And I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot more of her. Is there anything that I didn't mention that you know her from that you would like to give honorable mention to? Uh, I don't. I, I haven't seen this, but there's an adaptation of King Lear that she was in that looks like it stars Anthony Hopkins. And I'd like to see that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw really that. Fascinating. Oh, it's on Amazon Prime. Ooh. Guess I'll be watching that. Look at that. Yeah, it's got uh, Anthony Hopkins, Emma Thompson. Ooh, nice little cast. Yeah, I might be tuning into that then. Oh, yes. Very good. Very good. Uh, moving on, we've got Jack Rayner. Jack Rayner. So it was a name I didn't recognize, but it was a face I recognized. And the only movie I recognized him from was that really, really stupid um, Transformers movie. He's in tra- wait, which Transformers is he in? Because uh, I've four? never seen this dude before. Oh yeah, I dipped out after three. Uh, <laughs> Age of the, Age of Extinction. That was number four, right? That was the yeah, first one yeah, Marky yeah. Mark was in. Mark Wahlberg. Yep. Yeah. So yep. he was in that one. He plays uh, the boyfriend of Mark and Mark's uh, daughter in that. But um, so he was in 2019's Midsummer. Obviously, he was in. The Netflix movie 2018, Mowgli, Legend of the Jungle. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it either. He voices Brother Wolf. Um, 
I hadn't seen this movie either, but it was a name I recognized. Kin. He was in that in 2018. I, I saw trailers for that. It, I'll be honest. It looked forgettable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just, like I said, I remember the name, but obviously never had any desire to see the movie. There is another movie I did want to see, 2017's Detroit. He's in that. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing the trailer for that. That Again, looked pretty intense. Those. Yeah. <sighs> and then everything else that he is on his... Um, Thing I really, I mean, I'd heard of like a 2015's Macbeth with, um, oh, what's his face? The guy who plays Magneto in the newer X Men movies. I can't think oh, of his name. Oh, um, he's in 300. Michael Fassbender. My, yeah, yeah. So he was in 2015's so Macbeth. And stuff. He's, in, he's in an adaptation of Macbeth, and Florence Pugh was in the movie Lady Macbeth. Hmm. hmm. It was meant hmm. to be, and that's all I have written down for Jack Rayner. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's. A, a, I mean, he's. It's not. That's the thing. I kind of wish he was in more stuff like this because he's great in this film. Yeah, he's he's actually a pretty good actor. Yeah. Definitely uh, need to be in more of a role where they highlight his ability. Like at the beginning of the movie, he's not showing a lot of emotion and stuff like that. He's kind of very reserved and stuff like that, but. Then he gets his moment to shine, and it's just absolutely phenomenal and horrifying all at the same time. That's well, and I mean that's I mean it's absolutely his. Um, I mean that's his character is that he is so passive. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I mean, and he he plays it in a way though where you're like God, I hate him so much, but also you're like you can see yourself in his performance. You're just like, ah. I have been in situations where I'm like that. Oh, no. Yeah, you just want to scream at the screen, you know, grow a pair. Do it. Right, yeah. Just make a decision. And then, but like you said, we've all been there. You know, we've all chickened out Mm -hmm. or we all just keep teetering on the fence until we either die of depression or we finally do something. Um, The next... (laughs) Whoa, that got really dark. I'll cut that out. That's a, that's a, you know what? No, that's great. I'm going to put them to crochet that on a pillow or something. <laughs> uh, the next person on my list is William Jackson Harper. Um, uh, for To me, he's most recognizable from that series, The, Go- the Good Place. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's a cheaty is exactly the only thing I could think of the entire time. Yeah, but he's uh, he's been in quite a lot, actually. You know, I'm, I'm looking at his IMDb now, and I'm like, wow. Tom Clancy's like Jack that. Ryan on Amazon. He's been in a couple episodes of that. Um, he was in a lot of independent stuff. Yeah, a lot of independent stuff, and then just like a lot of TV. The Blacklist, Person of yeah, Interest. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, just a lot hmm. of TV stuff. Uh, and then the last person I really want to highlight because it's the last name I really recognized on the entire cast list was Will Poulter. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm i a fan of Will Poulter. I remember the very first movie I ever saw him in was uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, The uh, Voyage yep. of Dawn Treader. Uh, so that was the first movie I saw him in when he played the character of Eustace. And he's come a long way as an actor. He was in the Black Mirror TV movie Bandersnatch. Which is good. It was I really good. I, re- I need to go back and uh, rewatch it and select the uh, choices that I didn't select the last time I watched it. Um, Did you do the thing where you tell the character that he's in a Netflix show? No, I didn't. It's it's pretty awesome. Oh, I got to go do that. Uh, he was in the Maze Runner series. 
he was in that movie Detroit. So there's another shout out to Detroit. I was just about to say, I'm pretty sure I saw him in the trailer for that, but I wasn't sure. So I didn't say anything. Yes. uh, I do remember seeing him in the trailer for that. Uh, Netflix's war machine. I haven't seen that. The revenant revenant. Yeah, that's right. He is in that. Yeah. He, he appears in a lot of stuff. And of course, one of my favorite comedies, we are the Millers. Yes. That's, that's mostly where I know him from. Yes. Oh, God, that movie is so funny. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, that that's all I had for cast because everybody else was either like some foreign actor or actress I've never even heard of or just some, people so minor that when I was looking through their resumes, I was like, I, I really have nothing to talk about with these people. Right. Yeah. It's just like, I don't, sorry, I don't recognize you. <laughs> yeah. So we are going to move on. So who in this movie was your favorite female character or actress. Well, I it could be Florence, Florence Pugh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of the same thing as hereditary where it's just like the, the female lead is the absolute standout role of the film. Yeah. Like she is, I, I was talking about it earlier, like the performance she's giving. Um, and there's substantially less talking in this movie there's less dialogue in this in this film than there is in hereditary she doesn't really get like that dinner table scene like tony collette gets uh gets uh mainly it's a wildly different movie and this is a movie about her for good or for not t- being someone very passive and then growing to take action um and uh you kind of like the way she portrays that struggle of like, the, like I said at the very beginning, she just wants him to communicate, and she's trying so hard to reach out to him. Like, whenever she talks to uh, Christian on the phone at the very beginning when she's freaking out about her sister, um, and, like, you can see her, like, not being composed in her face, but her voice as she's talking to him through the phone, she's trying to keep it very reserved. Everything's fine. I'm trying not to freak you out right now. I just, but I need you to comfort me right now. And he's just not having any of it because he's an idiot. Um, but that was something that really stood out to me. Uh, this last time I watched it was that conversation on the phone where like she's wiping the tears away from her face and you can see she is in a whole lot of distress, but she's masking it through her voice as she's talking over the phone. I'm like, God, that's, oh man that is hitting so close to home right now like that is that is some acting that we're looking at right there i i could not have even said that better myself like i really have nothing to add to that uh ditto that's all i gotta say ditto (laughs) sorry no, that was that was brilliant, brilliant. Uh, what about male character or actor? I'm I'm torn because it's like who, which dick do I want to say is the best <laughs> dick in this movie? Because they're all terrible. They're all very selfish people. Um, like uh, even Pele. Like I I want to I kind of want to go with uh, the guy who plays Pele, the Swedish guy. Um, he was the biggest dick of them all. I, yeah, but like he's so nice the whole time true <laughs> <laughs> like he plays it so like straight and like like that uh the scene where he's talking to danny and uh he's like he's trying to appeal to her and he's telling about you know my parents burned up in a fire and like that whole speech is really like kind of moving almost mm-hmm. um 
but I mean, like, I also like kind of want to give it to the guy who plays Christian as well because, like, he plays a passive douche so well, which is a terrible compliment to give. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? What is um, your proudest trait? Well, I'm passive douche, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm That's really what I'm good, good at. at it. So good at it. <laughs> I got a PhD in it. <laughs> He's trying, apparently. Um, I'm a genius. Uh, you know, I'm the greatest but, uh, genius there yeah, is it's, alive. It's kind of a tie between the two of them because of how like manipulative Pele is played. Like he's, it's really fascinating to watch that happen. Um, and then it's also fascinating to watch what should be a really boring character. Uh, and he does, I think to a lot of people, he does come across as very boring, especially at the beginning. Like you said, he just doesn't have a whole lot going on. But then you realize, like, at the end of the movie, no, that's his character. He just doesn't have a whole lot going on and he doesn't know what to do. Like, to the point where he's stealing other people's thesis for his PhD. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a douchey move, too. Oh, <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, I guess I, I guess I have to go with Christian. I, I'll go with that. Okay. I mean, th- that's a hard choice because, you know, both of those choices are just they 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 stand in their own light and good arguments for both of them about which one would probably be your i hate to say favorite but i guess your more your more standout uh performance for me uh, as much as i really love slash hate pele um i'm gonna have to go with uh (laughs) between uh, Jack Rayner or Will Poulter on this one because that's what I love about Will Poulter's character because he has no problem letting people know he is a dick. He is a douche. He he doesn't care what people think about him, whether he's hated, liked, or anything like that. He's going to speak his mind and he's just going to roll with it. And uh, it's such a huge... And that's how he plays a lot of his roles I mean, I think all the way back to, you know, Chronicles of Narnia, Voyage of Dawn Treader, you know, that was Eustace. Um, That's the kind of character he was through the Maze Runner, you know, same thing, Uh, kind of just that outspoken guy who's not afraid to hold back uh, Black Mirror Bandersnatch, you know, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but again, never holds back. The only time I've ever seen him play that kind of timid character is We're the Millers. We're the Millers, yeah. That was a great departure for him, and, I, and I, he does he does douchey dick so well, and that's why I really do enjoy watching his performance in this movie because I just it's so fitting for what he normally does. He's but then also you have got a punchable face, like it's not about his face. I just want to punch you. Just, God, it, you're the worst. He really does. You you you, you love to hate him. But then you do have Jack Rayner. You do have Christian there. And again, his performance is very understated. Playing towards that patience thing that uh, Ariaster is trying, excuse me, Ariaster is trying to get us to uh, find in the beginning of the movie. Just be patient. I will deliver towards the end. And then he's got his moment of. I'm not going to say moment of glory, but his moment to shine as a character in the movie and as an actor in things like that. And then, you know, he just goes up in a blaze of glory. So you yeah, got to look, you got to love glory. that. So I, I can't pinpoint which, which actor slash character I enjoy the most. So I'm going to give it a tie. It's, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's hard to pick, but again, the, all of the, at least in hereditary, you have the husband, 
Steve, his name. Yeah. 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 Uh, and like, cause just like, he's so sympathetic. <laughs> like you're like, Oh, I feel so bad for you, man. Like there's don't feel bad for anybody. I don't feel bad for anybody in this movie. I really don't like, except for Danny, which is very obviously the point. Ooh, then you're going to love our conversation later because I do not share that point of view. Ooh, that's interesting. Okay. Well that's there's, I have there. I'm like Shrek and an onion. I have many layers, <laughs> layers. to that opinion. <laughs> uh, well, then I can't wait to get to that discussion. <laughs> um, so let's talk about favorite scenes or sequences uh, throughout the movie. I'm going to go ahead and launch this one because there's one scene that just sticks out in my brain. It's engraved in my brain. It's probably going to be un- the unfortunate thing, the last thing I remember like on my deathbed. It's going to be <laughs> the last thing that goes through my brain and that's this crazy ass sex scene with yeah. Jack Rayner's character Christian, that girl from the cult and all the elder women surrounding them. Everybody's naked. Uh there's chanting and stuff going on, the weird breathing that they're doing and stuff like it's just it was the like I actually had to pause the movie at the end of that whole scene and I I had to soak it in. I'm just like what you know the only the the only words I can use to describe it, uh, you know, here's where the here's where the little e is going to come in after the title of this episode. Uh, what the fuck did I just watch? I mean, yeah. seriously, that was what went through my mind. It took me forever to process this. Dude, imagine watching it in a theater. It was very I, overwhelming. I could I, I I couldn't imagine it. I probably would have been so uncomfortable. I'm not I'm not uncomfortable with the idea of sex, obviously, but it just seeing that play out on a screen, and they really did not hold back on the imagination no. here. So apparently, like I think this could be just a rumor. I want to say that like they had to cut some of that down to avoid an NC-17. I'm not surprised or shocked by that at all. I, but, I truly believe that. That's also the scene that, like, to me, is the most comedic. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> is like, that where the dark comedy comes in? Face, I think so. Because, like, look at his face the entire time. It's hilarious. Like, because he doesn't know what he's doing. Well, he's high. Like, he's so high. Um, <laughs> and, like, but, like and he's, like, so confused. And he's just kind of going along with what everybody says. And he's like, okay. But it doesn't look like he wants to be there. But again, he's his character has been set up as so passive. Makes sense. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that's where like the comedy comes in. So I was reading an article earlier today. It was written uh, in July of 2019 by Johanna Desta. Johanna Desta. Great name. Um <laughs> She said that uh, when she is talking about the scene, the title of the article is Midsummer's Wild Sex Scene is the Craziest Thing You'll See All Summer. Um, <laughs> she says, and I quote, it's incredibly creepy, but also hilarious in its strangeness. Midsummer is, on the whole, full of those so crazy they're funny moments, but this scene is undoubtedly home to the most unintentional mirth. It's, End quote. It like I, w- I was laughing when I saw it in the theaters because I'm like I can't believe I'm watching this right now. Like I can't believe this is part of the movie, but also like kind of makes sense. Like again, like you said, he's setting it up like the entire time. 
It's like, and this is the this is literally the straw that breaks the camel's back. This is where you see mm-hmm. the change in Danny's demeanor, her whole mm-hmm. mindset. So you've you've seen this you've seen this girl go through this emotional journey, and here here's the apex of that journey, right here, because she bears witness to this. Yep, she bears witness to this. She has to peep through that stupid little keyhole and watch this, and. This is where the movie turns, and this is where, obviously, the payoff for an hour and a half of patience comes in. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's 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 the most ridiculous. I mean, in a movie full of really weird stuff, I think it's the most ridiculous part. Like, you're just like, okay, this is, it is, this is why we're here, I guess. This is really weird. But it's it also ridiculous, like, uncomfortable uncomfortable but it's necessary i yeah. honestly you if you try to remove this entire sequence from the movie it doesn't work no no because like the this leads straight into um the, like probably one of my favorite scenes where she's like freaking out um where they where they sleep and like the group of women cry with her Oh yeah, they match her like crying and her breathing yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like it's so powerful, um, and you see that she's finally getting that emotional connection. Um, that scene, I think, would be. I think that scene with with them plays as dramatic uh, and a little bit scary, but I think mostly dramatic and kind of in a sick way, dramatically fulfilling, like emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it is what she's been searching for the entire time. Um, th- I think it would play as funny if you didn't see the extent to what she saw. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What makes the scene even more, I guess, <laughs> crazy is I was reading up on the filming of the scene. So apparently it took two weeks to do this entire sequence. And it was actually Rainer's idea that he be fully naked in this whole scene. So originally it was just supposed to be the elder women who were going to be naked. And well, obviously they were going to simulate him being naked because obviously it's a sex scene. But he's the one who said that I've got to be fully naked alongside these women because otherwise it's just going to be awkward. Well, I guess he didn't really think about the fact that this is two weeks worth of awkwardness about to happen. Um, And then... uh, yeah, I just don't. <sighs> I don't. The scene is just it's it's so crazy. Again, it's it's the first thing I think of, unfortunately, with this movie, and the the second scene I think of will be my next one that I list. <laughs> but it, 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 it's it was that it was that what the f moment for me in this film, and that was the point. I almost turned it off. Actually, that was the point. I was just like, I I don't know if I want to continue watching this, but I'm so glad I did. Um. So yeah, sex scene, crazy, wild. It's it's really yeah, it's awful. excessive in a way. <laughs> it is. It yeah, is. Awful. Uh, yeah, it's awful. I mean, <sighs> but Seriously. here's the. So I, I have a question. Have you ever seen uh, the Wicker Man? No. So like that one just like starts off the bat kind of like that. Like that's what everyone kind of has compared compared this film to. Like that's another kind of. This this guy comes from outside of this very pagan, ritualistic, cultish society, and then like is just subjected to all of their ways and how they're very off putting. Um, 
and everything like that. And I think that that like people really like the Rick, Wicker Man, and I like portions of it a whole lot. I think Midsummer holding this off and then just putting all of the weird pagan sex stuff into one scene um, mm-hmm. works a whole lot better than something like the Wicker Man, in which that is spread kind of throughout. Um, and feels almost fetishistic in a way. Um, this doesn't come across to me anyway. It doesn't come across that way. It comes across as, like you said, this isn't. This is the apex. This is almost, no pun intended, a climax of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was trying to say apex instead, because of like climax was I'll, the first word that came I'll, to mind, and I'm I'll just jump. like, wow. <laughs> I'll I'll jump on that grenade. It's fine. You you got it. I got it. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it's it's whew, that's it's it's an interesting comparison, I think, to something like The Wicker Man, which I saw a lot of people saying was better than Midsummer. Um, but I'm like, I don't know. I think the way Midsummer handles, like, because you if you're going to deal with a pagan cult, you have to deal with that because it's just yeah. kind of a thing. Um. And I think I kind of not enjoy, but I prefer the way that Midsummer kind of tackles that part of it a little bit more, I think. Okay. So having never seen The Wicker Man, I'm going to have to take your word on that. Uh, you're talking about good. that Nicolas Cage movie, right? No, 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 no. Oh, God, no. So that's that's the terrible remake of The Wicker Man. I think oh. The Wicker Man originally came out in the 70s, I want to say. Uh, Christopher Lee is the uh, main antagonist. Okay, it's it's really good. It's 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 it's. I mean, it's again. It's it's not a bad movie. I think it's really good, and it kind of like started. I want to say like the weird cult horror movie, um, and its ending is pretty spectacular as well. It mirrors this one in a, in a big way. Oh, um, or did this one mirror that one? Well, yeah, I guess the <laughs> other way it, it does. I mean, it's it serves a wildly different purpose. That one was much more just about the horror that your Christian God isn't going to save you. That's kind of the, the gotcha. point of wicker man. This one's, I think a little bit, again, I, I tend to enjoy this movie a little bit more and prefer the way that it tackles those, those things. Anyway, we're wildly off topic now. I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. Tangents are always welcome on this show. So, uh, you would talk, you had mentioned, um, the whole Danny crying scene and all the mm. people gathering around her. Are there any other scenes that uh, stand out to you in this film? Yes, the beginning. Oh, gosh. Oh, oh, man. I have never had a tone set so hard and so fast in my life. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> that, that, was, that was a tough scene to watch. Or just and the whole a, thing play out. It was just yeah, crazy. That, that's another instance of, like, like I can't. I'm, I've been trying to pick apart what makes that sequence so effective for being like the very beginning of the movie. We are not emotionally attached to anyone. And somehow it is so horrific and gut-wrenching to watch. All right. So I actually have a theory on that. Um, very Yes. Again, very gut-wrenching to watch. Very hard to watch. Um, especially for anybody who suffers from any type of mental illness, like depression Mm. or mania, uh, bipolar, anything like that. I mean, that's just gotta be a very tough scene to watch. But the reason I feel like Ariaster wanted to go ahead and just thrust that upon us is because he wanted us to have an expectation of the character, Danny to carry Mm. forward 
through the entire film. So she, we don't know much about her except for the fact that she's kind of needy, needy with her boyfriend and stuff like that, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah. But she's trying to also figure out what's going on with her sister because the sister is sending these odd emails and stuff like that. It's getting her a little freaked out. Parents aren't answering the phone, anything like that. And then that, that happens. And so now you've got this expectation of she, she is broken. She is broken mm-hmm. by her family tragedy. She is trying to piece her life back together. That's why I really feel like she's trying to hold on to the whole relationship with Christian. Um, yeah. Again, why I don't actually sympathize with her character um, in regards to her relationship with Christian because she's trying to hold on to something that I feel is toxic for her i mean that that, that's a very that's a very common thing for us as humans to do we want to hold on to the thing that's familiar whether it's toxic or not but like wanting to hold on to christian and wanting to keep him is not only unfair to him but it's unfair to her as well because it's not going to help her move on in the healing process she needs to disassociate herself from anything that's toxic not to say christian was a toxic person he he has his faults definitely but she was being selfish by holding on to that but anyway i go back to my little theory here so that is why um ariaster wanted to put this right at the beginning right up the right out the gate bam this is who danny is and this is who she's going to be through the movie it is a journey you're going to go on with her he wants you to connect with her on a different emotional level than any other character so that way every other character that comes in whether it's christian christian's friends people from the cult they are the outsiders they are the Mm. weird ones they are the ones that we're going to be leery of they are the ones that we're going to question we're never questioning danny we're questioning everybody else when in the long run I really feel like Danny is the true villain of the story, and we should have okay, been so questioning her from the very we, beginning. We sort of agree. Like, okay, so uh, I don't know. Do we want to get into like talking about the ending right now? <laughs> sure, why not? We are just throwing all the rules out the window now. Let's do it. Throw them out the window. Why does it keep happening when I'm on here? I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Stop apologizing. <laughs> um, the uh, so. I think I, I I half agree with you. I think she not necessarily is the villain. I in the same way that Hereditary is a family drama where the tragedy breaks the family apart mm-hmm. rather than brings them together. I think this is a similar thing where she, this is a relational drama where the most like I don't think she's vi- I think saying she's villainous paints her too far into that corner and takes away from the like almost the emotional message of the movie so i think it's weird when people say this movie has a happy ending like it's really weird and bothersome when they do because it doesn't it super doesn't have a happy ending to me yeah uh like some people are like, oh yeah like they got him yeah oh yeah that smile that she has at the end she's like she's found peace and stuff like that no 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 she's delusional yeah absolutely so that's the thing like she's I think for like the first half of the movie, she's absolutely right. I mean, she is right at the very beginning. She was 100% right that she should be worried. Mm -hmm. And 
unfortunately she was with someone that she could not lean on emotionally. Yes. Like that's that scene when Pele is like, do you feel held by Christian? I was just like, geez, what a question. And then like, you see her stop and actually think about it. And that begins her transformation. So it's like, it's not a bad thing that she is taking action. I love that the movie goes forward with like in any traditional movie, she would, she would, her character arc would be, she finally takes action. Um, she breaks up with him. The cult like sacrifices him. And then she's like, she's now resolved and she's stronger now. And all of these things like, no, she's just as emotionally codependent at the end of the film as she is at the beginning yeah. because she goes the wrong way with her decisions. And sometimes that just happens to people. Sometimes you do like you finally do make the decision to get out of the toxic relationship, but because you chose to stay in it for so long, you don't know how to handle yourself once you're out of it. Well, she's uh, like you said, is she's very codependent. She she traded she traded her boyfriend exactly. for this mm-hmm. extremist for cult. The cult. <laughs> no, no, she didn't trade. She murdered her boyfriend <laughs> for <an> extremist cult. <laughs> she sacrifices her boyfriend to the cult. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that uh, all right. So maybe maybe my title of villain is probably a little too harsh for her. I was basing it based off of that decision alone. That she felt like the only way to get justification for how she feels and how she wants to move forward is to select him versus a random villager to be placed mm-hmm. in that bear suit and then set on fire. Sorry if we just ruined the ending for anybody. If you really uh, made it this far, come on. Um, Midsummer is one of those weird movies that I think it's okay to get spoiled on just because of the journey you're going to go on watching it is so weird and unique. I think it's okay. But, uh, you know, but okay, so Villainous is wrong. So she's definitely a victim. She's a victim of her family's tragedy here. But I hate to say this because I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. <laughs> I really felt like she held on to that status for way too long. And all right. So, yeah. I mean, and, and I'm going to say that I'm going to say that with an absolute understanding that I've never been in her shoes. I've never had an experience like that. So, you know, I, I could very well do the very same thing if that ever happened to me. But in my mind, she held on to this this being a victim thing for so long that she refused to let go of a relationship with a guy who was trying to get out. She refused to accept certain things. She, she refuses to take responsibility that she is partially to blame for their failed relationship as well. Yeah, mm -hmm, absolutely. So that's, that's, I think that's what I like so much about it because I think that's a really layered way to take a character is that she is a victim and she is making bad decisions. Absolutely. Those, her being a victim does not absolve her of the very bad decisions she makes throughout the film. Again, Christian's no saint, despite his name. No. He <laughs> he is no saint. He has a lot of flaws and a lot of stuff that he made. He made a lot of bad decisions. He should have just left the relationship. He mm-hmm. really should. Yeah, he sh- I mean, he sh- he should have grown a pair and just be like, ah, we're done. Exactly. You know, but he's he's so passive that he's like he's like not even. I mean, characters just straight up call him out like, dude, you you've got to get your stuff together because you can't make decisions for yourself. Exactly. And but then you kind of sympathize with him at the same time because, you know, Mm -hmm. she's in this emotional state. He would be worried that if he left, she would do something drastic like end her life. 
like if if when a tragedy strikes like that, it's like okay, so now you break up with her? Like, of course not. Like that would be that would be insane. <laughs> that would yeah that that would be awful. You would definitely go down as the bad guy. But at the same time, you know, you can't be in these codependent relationships. Wow, this this conversation's getting deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't be in these know, codependent right? uh, relationships despite these outer forces that are yep. pushing you around. It is sad. She lost her family. She's going through all this. But at the same time, he was already in the mindset he wanted to leave. And it just so happened that this family tragedy happened. And he just got caught in the middle. He got caught in the middle of it. And then he just, he, he decided to stay because he was too afraid to leave at that point. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's a, it's a story of unfortunate circumstances and bad timing. And then, like you said, bad decisions being made along the way. So as time progressed, when it would have become a little bit more acceptable if he walked away and stuff like that, he still didn't do it. And yeah, she and still mean, kept inserting herself into it, too. So they are both to blame for how this relationship I, went. And I really think his death was very unnecessary. Well, so, okay, that's that's the interesting thing. So in reading some of the description of the scenes, and I already think, I was already kind of like, man, dude, like you're, like as a dude, I would have told you, <laughs> you need to, you need to nut up and make a decision, yes. man. Like you can't, you can't just be like, you did the, you done, you done played yourself. You're, you're a bear because you did that. Um, and um, apparently the director's cut solidifies him more as like really just gaslighting her and telling her like, like kind of like, so they see them kill the old people. And then he's like, no, no, no. It's like, it, I, but it's, you know, it's part of their culture. You know, you're just kind of freaking out right now because everything. And he's like trying to play down her like stress at what she's seeing. And apparently there was a scene cut where he, she confronts him after she sees what happened. Um, and again, he plays it down as like, it's just as part of their culture. I don't know. So like, I guess like the idea of him, like trying to like manipulate the way she's seeing the world and trying to play up like, Oh, you've got issues. So that's really affecting the way you're seeing things, um, was a bit more present in the director's cut, which would make it a bit more like, ah, uh, burn him. <laughs> burn him <laughs> I mean this like again like we're saying that in the context of a movie like in in that's but that's kind of the existentially horrifying thing is that this is a breakup movie in which neither person wins at all even though it very much so seems like one of them does she's she's now part of this cult and that is not a win I was about to say, if anybody won, it was him because he he got to make his he's escape. <laughs> yeah, he's out. It was in a fiery um, blaze, but, but he escaped. But, and that's another thing that I really like about the ending is that, um, like, she gets what she wants, and it's not what's good for her. And he gets what like he she, wants, but it wasn't in the way he wanted it. it. Yeah, it's not. It didn't turn out super great for him. Like he got out of the relationship, but he died, and then she gets a a family. And people who quote unquote understand her and love her, but it's it is this like death cult. Oh, isn't isn't that how cults get us all the time? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's the appeal of a cult is that, like, I I want that. Fa- I mean, that's kind of how you get in, involved with any kind of nefarious group is I want acceptance, I want love, and I want people who understand me. Yeah. I mean, that's how you get in toxic relationships. It's like, well, that, you know, this is really unhealthy either physically or emotionally, but they seem to understand me and they're still here. Yeah. Damn. Anyway, this is getting really deep. (laughs) I'm really sorry to everybody listening. I feel like all of like the episodes I picked just are real downers. Like if you need to take a moment, this would be a great time to pause, you know, get up, walk around, (laughs) smell some roses, I don't know, something happy, uh, read a comic. Hug a hug a loved one. (laughs) Pet your dog, something. <laughs> All right, so uh let's bring let's dial it back a little bit. Let's bring it back to uh scenes that. or sequences. Uh the other scene I wanted to talk about uh was the elder ritual scene, you know, the one with the sacrifice. Yes. Okay. Which is like it's like I want to say it's like it's like an hour into the movie, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It took us a while to get there, but it's just a like, long time. Again, it's just one of those scenes where <sighs> I guess it's supposed to take you by surprise, even though they tell you it's coming. And yeah, they—I mean—they pretty much tell you it's coming as soon. But as then they get I guess to... the surprising thing is that, like, they—they—they—they they, they, they really again don't leave anything to the imagination. You just see it. No. And then the no. even more surprising thing is, is that they got a ritual to do within the ritual. If the first ritual doesn't go as the ritual is yeah. planned to go, <laughs> and they got like they pull out this hammer like you would see at a carnival when you're trying to sling that thing all the way up to the bell to see if you're the strongest man alive. They pull out this hammer and they're like, "Okay, you got to finish him." Uh, what? Excuse me? Yeah, I'm sorry. What? Yeah. You what? Finish him. What do you mean finish him? <clears throat> but here's here's the thing about that scene though. So like going back to like that review that says this movie asks you patience. Like and this is what I was talking about where I think the movie has to be paced the way that it is where the beginning is very slow. It is incredibly slow and it it is just setting up characters for like an hour. Mm-hmm. Um but I think like you kind of don't know. like obviously there are cult in a movie called Midsummer, <laughs> directed by the guy who made Hereditary. You obviously know they're up to no good. Yeah. That being said, though, um, the um, oh shoot, I lost my train of thought. Um, oh yeah, the, so I think that you have to spend that much time before you get to something like this for you to not just for it to make sense that the characters just don't leave. Yeah, and obviously two of them want to, like the two, the two um, British people. I think right, they're from London, right? Yeah, um, they uh, they obviously want to leave, but like it, it, you can accept that the characters don't just go away after seeing that because they have spent so much time building up the characters, what their motivations are, and then a bunch of time building up this community and how they have some kind of weird customs, but it's they're they seem to be very, very happy and platonic and like loving with each other. So it's like, it kind of makes sense. And they even like, I think the justification that they use within the film works pretty well. Whenever he talks about, we stick our elderly into retirement homes Mm -hmm. and they like, how is that any better? 
Yeah, which I, yeah. I think it's better. Yeah, I yeah, personally I, think it's better. But stick, you know, stick them in a retirement you, home, or you know, have them jump off a cliff. I don't. I mean, you know. I, yeah, what? A, hey, whatever floats your boat. I guess, but it's like you can at least kind of go with the characters along that journey, where you're like, I, I guess you could look at it that way. Sure, it's not just a dude. Get out. Come on, just leave. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely agree. It's just, but then the, just. Thinking back to the scene, the whole thing is just, it's gruesome, it's horrifying, mm. and, but at the same time, you know, I, I felt finally after, kind of like you said, you know, is this the pacing, you, you, we've waited an hour to get to something that's significant, and this is a very significant moment, and they don't hold back, but then they go back to no. the slow, they go back to the slow. Mm-hmm. It goes slow, fast, slow, fast, slow, fast. And so I, again, they tell you what's going to happen. And then when it happens, you're still shocked by it because not just the fact that they are not leaving anything to the imagination, it is just so out there. It is so graphic. It is so horrifying. And then they, and then just as you think you're about to process it, they take you back. Yep. Yep. So it, it, it kind of is a brilliant move on his part instead of just giving you bam 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 he's gonna give you bam take it back and then so while you're thinking you're processing it it's going to take you back to the slow part well you know you got to start paying attention again because Mm -hmm. it's slow and you're going to miss details and stuff like that so it doesn't really give you a chance to register what you just witnessed and and then that part is horrifying right there because then you're going to go back and you're going to think about it even more later yeah and then it just becomes even more horrifying the more you think about it well and like i think i think it's also really important because like you see the way that the rest of the community reacts to death and then like danny has that nightmare sequence where you can see her associating her family's death with like and like how she like very understandably feels like this incredible pain and loss and it's it's juxtaposed against this community that views it as this gift that they're giving, that this is just part of the cycle, that this is kind of a renewal. Like she, t- the lady talks about how um, the older woman that jumps off, she is now have, she has now given her name to the unborn child. Yeah. And so you get kind of like you start seeding Danny having like the, Oh, I don't have to look at death the way that I look at it. Yeah, death is not the end. Death can be the beginning. It's the circle of life. Uh, you know. I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Lion King prequel to Midsummer. Uh, um, <laughs> well, there was a cliff involved. There was death. I mean, you know. So, but I mean, speaking of that cliff, like this is like super gruesome. It's also incredibly, like, beautifully shot. Oh, it's like stunning. the cinematography is beautiful. I mean, as it is through the entire film, like the entire film is gorgeous. Yeah. If you're going to talk about cinematography here, the best part was when they first arrive at the village. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Just beautiful, gorgeous scenery and stuff like that. The forest, the hills, everything like that. And then you arrive at this very picturesque village. It's um, There's something calming about it. it mm-hmm. Again, you get you go into this movie, you know that something's going to be off here, but then you just kind of get lost in its beauty and stuff like. That's a cult. It brings exactly. you in. It brings you in, and then you're trapped. 
like that poor bear. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I love that. that's kind of one of my favorite, but like the set of lines whenever he's like, we just going to ignore the bear. And the guy's like, it's a bear. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. And then at the end, whenever she's in her like f- floral gown, uh, and like, and because everyone's on drugs, all the like trees and everything in the background are swirling. You can even see a face in the trees. Yeah, I saw something. There's a theory that that's her sister's face or something like that. Yes, some people say that. I don't, know. I don't it see it. It's like a face. I don't know. I see the face, but I don't see it. Like, oh, man, that's yeah, I think it's face. just the face. Like, I th- I always because like that's something I really enjoy about the movie is like Hereditary is undecidedly a supernatural film. This one is really not. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not. Like they talk about a presence that they feel and that they have the oracle interpret from and things like that. Um, but like it's it's very much so like nothing supernatural is going on here. It's it's all hallucinogenic hallucinogenics. Mm-hmm. And to me, I just was like, oh, that's the presence that they're talking about that she is now seeing because she's fully accepted this mindset and is under the influence of uh, of drugs. Drugs will destroy lives, man. Don't do don't drugs. Do drugs. <laughs> Watch Midsummer. Don't do drugs. <laughs> I dare you to do drugs after watching Midsummer. Uh, that kind of brings us to so uh, quotable lines. There, there's not a whole lot of like quotable lines in this film. You know, he's like, "Are we just going to ignore the bear?" That was a funny line. I had that written down. There was another one. Uh, what is my phone doing? There it is. Uh, there was another one. It was uh, when uh, Pele is explaining how the um, how the whole system works in their we call it a cult, they call it a village in their uh, family, their village. And I really liked this because okay, so hear me out. I'm, you're probably going to think I'm crazy. Ooh. Aside from it ending in death. It kind of makes a lot of sense when you think of age. So here's the exact um, explanation. So we think of life like the seasons. So you're a child until you're 18 Mm -hmm. in that spring. And then at some point, we all do the pilgrimage, which is between 18 and 36 in that summer. And then from about 36 to 54, we're, we're working age, which is fall. And then finally, from 54 to 72, you become a mentor. And that's winter. And then they're like, what happens at 72 and Pele makes this comical throat slash gesture um, and stuff like that. That was before they realized that, Oh, they're actually going to witness the death of people who just turned. Yeah. It's like, no, 72. but he's serious. Like yeah. he just, he's very serious. He just says this. So, I mean, so uh, you're going to call me dark. You're going to call me sadistic, I guess, but I, I kind of see the appeal in such a structure within a society where, you know, you've got these age groups where, they are regarded to be doing certain things based off these age groups, you know, mm-hmm. zero to 18, you're a child, you're learning, you're soaking in knowledge and stuff like that. Well, guess what? You're not done learning. It's time for your pilgrimage. Go out into the world, experience, live, love, do all that fun stuff. But then it's time to come back and put in the real work during that third phase of mm-hmm. life. And then during the fourth phase, you're going to help prep the next generation of people who go. The unfor- the thing I don't agree with is at 72, killing yourself. But Yeah, you push yourself off a cliff. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it, 
that there, there's where you've lost me. But I kind of like that. I, I, I kind of see the appeal in that uh, structure of life and absolutely, and how it can be productive in a smaller society like that. I'm sure it could be easily translatable into a more modern, um, full scaled society. But in a small village society like that, everybody's got their roles, everybody's got their uh, place in life, and it just works together in harmony. It's like cl- it's like a clock; all the gears are working together. And it's never going to stop because, again, it's that circle of life. You just lost two people at the uh, ceremony, two 72-year-olds. Well, guess what? Two more kids are coming into the world. And so it's just this beautiful circle that keeps happening. And it just keeps going and going and going. It just happens to involve murder, mayhem, and all that crazy stuff. I wish people could see me right now because I'm standing up now. I, I got rid of my chair because of my little muscle yeah. spasm and my arms are like going all over the place as I'm describing this. Nobody can see me do this right now. Well, this is the stand-up podcast. <laughs> We're both very animated. We're very animated people. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but then as far as quotable lines go, th- th- those are the only lines that really uh, stick out to me when I think of this movie. I really love that little quip about the bear. And then I loved that explanation about the age and the roles. Yeah. And I mean, like for me, it's, it's, it's the, the bear is very funny, but then also uh, again, whenever Pele is talking to Danny and he's like, does, does, does Christian make you feel held? Does he feel like home to you? It's like, what a powerful pointed line. And you know that like, directly intercepts into what she wants but is leading to something incredibly unhealthy but she can't see that from there no she she can't and that's the unfortunate thing about that but then let's let's apply that to an everyday relationship i think anybody in a relationship can take that line take that question and apply it and if you can't get a solidified Mm -hmm. answer out of it or at least a productive answer out of it maybe you should be talking about Mm mm-hmm the future of that relationship and thinking maybe it's time to move on to something else or anything like that. And she, she doesn't make that connection. You said it earlier. You, she gets that look on her face. Like she's thinking about it, but she doesn't make that connection or maybe she does. It makes the wrong choice. I think she does. Yeah. She just starts making the wrong choices because she has stayed so long that now she's like, it's, she only makes that decision once once she sees that the security of another relationship is waiting is the possibility of the security of another relationship is there so that like, she's not technically making a decision to become independent. She's just making a decision to switch relationships. Yeah, exactly. If that makes sense. No, no, makes makes sense. Uh, but again, like I want to, I also want to like, just like this blanket statement that it's like, none of these people are making good decisions. Personally, I think all of their decisions are still understandable within the circumstances that they're in. Yes. Like, I, I, mean, we can, I understand where they are coming from. They are not good decisions. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can kind of, you can understand where they're coming from. And then, and you can sit there and say, well, these aren't good decisions. And I would do this and I would do that. But we never know what we're truly capable of doing or incapable of doing until we're in mm. those situations ourselves. So we're sitting here judging Danny and Christian and all that. Well, you know, we could very well be making the same decisions in that given situation. You never know. I could have someone in a bear suit set them on fire. You never know. 
Uh, well, if I read this wild thing about a man <laughs> in Florida setting people in bear Florida suits on man. fire, I uh, will immediately destroy this episode. Um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, any other uh, quotable lines or anything like that that's, that you can think of? That's really it for me. Like I said before, there's large swaths of this movie that there's not really any talking. There's no, just you're, you're taking in things that are happening. Like when Christian's running around and then comes upon the dude with his lungs pulled out of his back. Oh, that was so, oh. It's horrifying. Oh. <laughs> and beautiful because he's like covered in flowers. Like it's, it's this horrendous juxtaposition. You know, uh, I, got a, I got a very Dexter vibe. From that very scene. Right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking specifically of season six, uh, where they find the woman in the greenhouse and uh, she's hooked up to tripwires and stuff like that. And somebody triggers one and it just rips her open and like turns her into an angel. Yeah. You know what I'm I talking was, about? That, yes. That's, that is incredibly apt. I didn't think of that. I was actually thinking of Hannibal, the show. Ooh. Oh, the show. Because that, that has a like, have you ever watched the show Hannibal? No, you should. Oh, it's this is going to sound like sacrilege. It rivals Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter. Oh, I, it, who are you? I, I, I'm <laughs> telling you, man, I switch between who I like more. Oh, okay. That good. It's, I mean, that's like, a great actor. He's a great good. actor. But. Yeah, Mads Mickelson really really does good but that that show has a lot of that uh that like horrendous graphic and beautiful art kind of all mixed together hmm. okay i'll have to check it out i'm just giving i'm really piling i know you list. i'm sorry most people give like people reading lists you're giving me a movie <laughs> watch list all of them <laughs> All right, so on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being absolutely horrific, 10 is that this movie should be studied for all ages. What would you give this movie? Wait, I'm confused. What is the scale? I'm, I'm 1 to 10. What the, what the scale 1 is? to 10. But like, what is 1 and what is 10? 1 is absolutely horrible. We should never talk about this movie again. Yeah. 10 is okay. this movie should be studied for all ages because it's perfect in every single way. Interesting. Okay, uh, I'll say I'll give it a nine, just because there are a few things that I'd want to change. Fascinating. All right. Even after my rewatch and my newfound love with this, I'm going to give it a seven. Yep. Hey, hey this movie is not for everybody. No, definitely <laughs> not for very, everybody. That nine is very much so a subjective rating for me. <laughs> okay, so let's dive into that. So why... Why the nine? Why not the full ten? Um. So I guess uh, can this like combine into what you would have changed about it? Absolutely. What I would change? Yeah. Let's do that because um, I think that it should have been more subtle and how it hints towards things to come. Um. Okay. And in some ways, I'd like like just pointing like I think for the most part, it's just character saying what's like. I don't think you should have had a character say, "Are we just going to ignore the bear?" Like you could show the bear in the background, maybe. Like, probably don't have a character just pointed out because, like, he says that and you're like, "Okay, the bear is going to show back up." It's it's uh, what's the what's the thing for? What's the rule if you show a gun in the first act, it should be fired by the second. <laughs> Uh, there's a there's a rule in screenplay writing. It's a Russian guy's name, and I can't think of it I right have no now. It's idea. frustrating me. I'm very sorry to anyone who's listening to this and is yelling at their phone like it's this. Um, 
but uh they uh i keep wanting to say occam's razor that's obviously not it no that's not it <laughs> that's a different thing <laughs> but uh uh like i was saying uh in another big thing is is the is the the cake the hair and the cake oh uh as much as so like i love that his drink is just mildly darker than everyone else's and they never show as far as i unless i'm misremembering there's not a close up of it mm-hmm. it's just you you can see his drink is a little bit darker it's got the 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 you know what in it oh yep Ugh. And that's it's very subtle. You could not catch that. They straight up just say what is in the in the pie, like they just say it. And I'm just like, that. I don't think you needed that. Like you showed us a picture of what is going to happen. I don't think you need your characters to just reiterate that. Well, you know, it's probably it, they probably did it for people like me who are just not catching they, things on the first round. You know, as I said, I'm going to sound like a real like. Oh man, I feel like these these episodes just reveal me to be such a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know I come across as probably like a snobby douche, but like I can vouch for him. He's not a snobby douche. He's just a douche. I like, no, I'm kidding. I would like. I wish I could have gone through the movie and didn't know that. Like, because like when they show the thing of like the girl, like the just like the series of pictures, I'm like, oh, that's gonna happen to Christian, I bet. Yeah. Okay. Then, all right. All right. I, I don't want to. I don't want to stop you there. So like earlier when I was like praising the foreshadowing and stuff like that, I was kind of thinking of that, but I was also thinking of in Danny's apartment, the picture of the bear, the like, picture of the bear great. and stuff like that. That was that was absolutely amazing, great. and you're just like. The bear's there at the beginning, the bear's alluded to in the middle, and the bear ends it all. It, it was beautiful. Yep. Yeah, so, so like, sorry, and, go back. No, there, you're right. Like that kind of foreshadowing is great. And part of me wonders if like people saw cuts of it and they're like, dude, like in like I don't I don't know, because it's I just I mean, it is supposed to be a fairy tale, especially if you're listening to the music a lot of the time. It's very like magical sounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Danny gets exactly what she wished for at the end. So it is very fairy tale like, so it doesn't need to be this really abstract, like, what does it all mean? Kind of a thing. <laughs> um, I just personally, I would have preferred if I had to work a little harder to understand what was going on instead of it literally being told to me by characters. I always, I usually kind of have an issue when, when, in television sh- shows, especially seem to do that where characters will just say what a thing means and i really don't like that you know it's funny you say that because i i i kind of i don't remember the exact wordage i used but i had a very similar conversation with anthony during the uh the invisible man recording where like sometimes i'm okay if i have to work for i'm okay if i have to work for some some things in a movie like try to figure it out on my own i'm also just fine if they want to hand me the answers too (laughs) i think it also depends on just the kind of movie that you're watching yeah like um pretty much like horror movies are probably the only ones where i don't i would rather not be told um, I'd rather kind of just like the more like, cause I mean, that's what's scariest is it, what's left up to your imagination. Yes. Um, and so like, and I kind of like a horror movie to be more of a puzzle, but that's also, again, I know that's very much so a personal preference on my part. Um, I, I, 
I prefer subtext and like having to kind of being given the clues and then being expected to put them together myself. If I'm watching an action movie, I need to know what's going on. You do have to tell me what's going on. Yeah, no. And I agree with you there wholeheartedly because, you know, that's going to take away the whole horrific side of a horror movie is if you know what's going to come on, you, you don't want to see that twist coming. You don't want to see the big reveal. You want the clues so you can try to piece it together and see if you're right or anything like that. Like I remember going to see the village in theaters mm-hmm. when it first came out and I don't remember who I saw it with though. I'm so sorry who, if whoever I saw it with is listening to this right now, I really <laughs> am. Uh, you're not that memorable. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I remember they turned to me halfway through the movie and they said, this is taking place in modern times. And I'm just like, shut up, shut up. You, you don't know anything. There's no way this is taking place in modern times. You're super smart. I super didn't see that coming. I, I, didn't, oh see, I didn't see it coming. And I asked, so when the big reveal came and we were leaving the movie theater, I'm just like, how in the hell did you see that coming? And they told me about the clues that were all throughout the movie. So I, when I, the movie came back out, I actually, no, I went and saw it again. So I went and saw it again, and I'm trying to pay attention for these clues, and I can kind of see how they pieced it together. But it took me, it took me many watches. And I get, I, I don't know if this is like a clue into how slow I am. I have no idea. But I don't know. I didn't see it coming. I'm just like, like that, that. Really took me by surprise. I'm just like these clues. Uh, these clues were very vague and stuff like that. And I'm just. It still baffles me to this day how this person managed to. Uh, it, it was a girl. I do remember that it was a girl. Um, They're wicked smart. Whoever yeah, they, they are. are. God. <laughs> I really wish I could put a face there. I just remember it being a girl. Um, I, I like movies like that where I'm left get, but you know, at the same, all right. So M night Shyamalan, yeah, here, we're going to go on another little tangent here. So M night Shyamalan, that he did the village. Well, with the sixth sense, I remember sitting down and watching that movie for the first time and immediately, not immediately, but like partway through the movie, I'm just like, Bruce Willis is dead. I said that to my mom and she's like, how do you know? And I was like, the clues are all there. It's obvious. Kind of there, yeah. It's it's like especially when you rewatch it. It's it's not hit. It's very poorly hidden. It's very poorly say. hidden, and it, they did they weren't even subtle with it. And so when people said, you know, like, oh yeah, I didn't see that coming. I was like, were we watching the same movie? <laughs> I still think the best twist was the end of Unbreakable. I think that's my oh, favorite yes. movie he's ever made. That that was a great film, and unfortunately, it just did not get the justice it needed with. Uh, um glass horrible god horrible um or you know like get out i've said it many times on this show i i i i didn't predict the exact ending of get out but i kind of had this clue going into it just like there's something going on i just couldn't put my finger so i i i i've boasted before that i had figured it out like halfway through the film I, that was an exaggeration, guys, but I had this idea in my head and I was like 75% correct. So, you, yeah, it's like I'm pretty sure there's some mind swappery yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's going on just here. something going very strange here. And of course, you know, you're getting lost in the, the political commentary of the film and stuff like that, too. So, again, I don't, I'm with you here. You know, I don't mind if you want to give me clues along the way to figure things out. Just don't be so blatant with those clues all the time. But then there are some movies where I'm just like, okay, go ahead and just give me a little bit more. Give me a little bit more or just go ahead and answer this question for me now so I can piece together the other clues, you know? Mm -hmm. So I see where you're going with that. 
Yeah, it's frustrating. It's it's a hard balance to strike where you're like, w- like you want to strike that balance between, dude, just talk, mm-hmm. just talk, because that's a that's another frustrating thing. It's when problems arise because characters just don't talk to each other. Nobody like, that's, talks that's to that's each other anymore. Yeah, apparently but i mean like it's like it's a big thing in like you know like any movies where there's like a, a love interest or a relationship and then the relationship gets thrown into turmoil because one character sees uh the other one doing something else and then they just don't talk about it so just talk <laughs> like frustrating you're <laughs> you're pinning the crux of your movie on the fact that they just choose not to talk about anything when they're blatantly be a question asked anyway but there's there's that fine line to ride um between just talk and please stop talking <laughs> like because and that's kind of how i feel especially every time i rewatch midsummer like which is the consequence of i know what's happening it becomes more and more frustrating to just hear the characters like dude that's a pube gross like what no don't have your character say that Maybe someone wasn't paying attention to the picture and they don't know what it is. And then it's going to be even more confusing to them. That's okay. Let it be. This needs to be confusing because the characters are confused. That's a very good point. No, that's a good point. point, But that's, that's where I'm, that's the one thing I would change is I would, I would make a lot of the stuff a bit more like the picture of the bear in the beginning. Yes. A little bit more subtle. And then that way you can go back and appreciate a little bit more once you realize it's a clue. Yeah, very good. I, I I really like that explanation. I, I I'm afraid I've just got to be a little bit more harsh. Like I said, so I'm going to give it a seven out of ten here. Uh, fantastic film. I definitely enjoy it. Now it's one I would recommend anybody try at least once in their life. Again, you're not you're either going to like it or you don't. It's not for everybody. Uh, but it goes my my deduction and points here goes along with one of the things that I would have changed about this film, and it's about cutting in my mind, some unnecessary scenes. And one of those unnecessary scenes was on the journey to this village when they stopped alongside that road and, you know, Mm. the beautiful grass and everything. Very beautiful scene. Beautiful. But in, in the storytelling, I could have really done without this whole sequence about them doing, uh, doing the drugs, uh, the psychedelic thing, anything like that. Very, very beautiful, wonderful scene to watch. But to me, it really doesn't add any value to the story in my mind. It's going to play a significant role later in the story. Mm-hmm. It, they're they're setting you up. They're setting you up an expectation as to what what these people are going to experience when they are drugged and stuff like that. But why yeah. are you going to give me that? Why are you going to give me that reveal now when I could be experiencing experiencing it in a more meaningful moment? later in the movie i know i think it's just weird that they stop it before they get to the village it's like just do that scene in the village do that scene exactly but have it take place in the village it's it was very i'll be honest it was also very confusing the first time i watched it. i'm like wait why are they stopping are they there are they there yet are they not there yet okay, why are what who are all of these people i'm very confused this is the midway it, like point to said, midsummer yeah it's like and i like you said it, it obviously serves the purpose that that they are comfortable taking psychedelics. Mm-hmm. So it's not weird whenever they start giving them these drinks that makes them trip balls. Um, 
but it's like again just do that at the village they get to the village they're like okay cool now we're gonna we're gonna trip and then she has the bad trip she can have the the vision of her sister and all that stuff there there's no reason to have it be this random halfway stop somewhere that nobody knows where they are yes it felt completely out of place oh hit my microphone it felt completely out of place so i I do agree yeah and i think that's again part of that pacing i think he mm -hmm. just wanted to draw you out just a little bit more um which is you know could be argued whether that's a good or a bad thing i think yeah 10 i tend towards bad but also i'm like i don't know he's there he's he knows he seems to know what he's doing Mm -hmm. i don't know and then the other thing i would have changed is um a lot of secondary characters happening throughout this film. So it's giving you a lot of people to try to concentrate on and stuff like that. So I, I get it. You know, the people who will go on their pilgrimage, they bring back quote unquote friends slash victims. Uh, ooh, what did my computer just do? Um, oh, no. oh, it just too long without doing anything. And, uh, yeah, screensaver. yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, but it, I could have done without that random couple. To me, again, mm-hmm. they they were just they were just an extra, and they serve no purpose in any climatic scene of they're, the movie. They're just they're kills. They're like the yeah, random kills. Fodder. Exactly. They're like, oh, we need we need we need cool cult kills. So I guess we'll use them. That is their only purpose, and in my mind, if I just removed them from the movie, the movie still serves its point and gets there just mm-hmm. a little bit faster. So, just a little bit, yeah, I, I would agree with that. So, those are the only changes that I would make, and then just finally, at the end, this is not a movie that I'm going to rewatch over and over and over and over and over and over and over it's again. So long. It's so long, and it's just still a lot to process, and there's, there's just Again, all those scenes that we talked about, whether it's the sex scene, the end scene, uh, all that other stuff, or the beginning, you know, where it just Mm. immediately dives you into this really dark uh, look into her family. It's just a lot of hard stuff to watch. So it's maybe one of those movies that I would probably watch once a year or something like that, not multiple times throughout the year. Uh, same thing with it's Hereditary. Similar. I love Hereditary way more than this movie, but it's not a movie I'm going to sit down and watch like every week or every month. See, well, even Hereditary, I would say, is probably more digestible than this one is. Yes, like I, uh, there's something less. Again, there's something less existentially horrifying about Hereditary than there is about this. Except for the fact like that this, you're talking like about the, a god. I, uh, yeah, I guess like technically it is existentially horrifying, <laughs> but um, they uh, you're right there. Uh, but like, I mean, like just like I don't think there's anything in Hereditary that makes me feel as sick as the very beginning of this of as Midsummer is. Um, like the I, beginning of Midsummer makes me feel sick. Uh, the middle of Hered or thirty minutes into Hereditary, I yeah. don't want to ever look at a telephone pole. it's definitely horrific and it's like again tony collette's really selling that there's just i I think maybe because i think maybe because it goes by faster yeah might have something to do with it like you get past that way quicker Mm -hmm. and again that's that hereditary is paced so like perfect it is um this one just you sit in it and it just this really long shot from the cars down the hallway to the parents. You're just like, oh, oh my it's god, gut wrenching the entire time because you know exactly how it's about to like what you're gonna see. 
but then you don't know yeah. what you're going to oh. see either. So like, <sighs> and like the music, like the violins are bending to sound like sirens. Oh my gosh. Um, over to, it's just like, everything is like made to like, it just makes, again, it makes me feel sick. I'm like, Oh my God. Jeez. I actually again, think about like, that scene. Like, if I ever, if I'm just not paying attention and like I start my car in the garage and I don't have the garage mm. door open, I'm just like, oh crap, I'm about to like midsummer myself. Midsummer here. myself. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to call that now. <laughs> that's, that's really dark. It is. It's very dark. It's very dark. Careful, you're going to midsummer yourself. <laughs> I'm gonna to have to put a trigger warning on this episode. Um, really, are. I don't. I wish we weren't laughing at this I so know. much, but I can't help it. I really can't help but laugh. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, any plot holes or movie mistakes, editing errors, or anything like that that uh, noticeable enough that we feel we should address? Because I honestly, I had to go do research on this one and. Unless you have the inner workings of how the sun works in Sweden versus Hungary where it was filmed and stuff like that. That was like the main thing that I kept reading is that the sun was always in the wrong position or some BS like that. So like that's the only like I don't know of anything that's like a continuity error or anything. Uh, I was like the big thing I was watching for was shadows shifting. Yeah. Um, between shots. And honestly, I couldn't really find anything, which is remarkably impressive for shooting a film all in the broad daylight. Like, that's why most movies aren't filmed like that, because the sun moves whether you're having to ta- do another take or not. Yeah. And then when you're trying to edit those takes together, you've got shadows shifting everywhere. So I'm, I'm very impressed that I didn't notice any glaring issues with shadows moving around. Well then congratulations to whoever edited this movie. Yeah. Did a (laughs) done, did a good job. Any other thoughts about midsummer that we want to share? I don't know. I I feel like I have ranted and raved quite, quite. I think we have dived uh, beyond deep dived into this movie and its themes and its elements uh, guys, uh, if you've made it this far into this episode, congratulations! Right? Thank you for sticking you it out with sticker. us. Um, it's a very powerful movie. Uh, again, like mm. I said earlier, I recommend everybody see it at least once. Uh, you may like it, you may not. Um, and I'm I'm going to offer you the same perspective that uh, Stephen offered to me. Go into it like a dark comedy. Really, I mean, and it was even said in that article I quoted earlier, you know, there are just moments of unexpected or uh, not not unexpected, but uh, there's just moments of hilarity where hilarity shouldn't be. Yeah, like ridiculous. Yeah, the ridiculousness of this. um, And it serves its purpose. And if you can at least see the humor in it, you might be able to stomach it. A little bit more. There are some very dark themes that are not humorous. I mean, we've addressed all those, um, like the beginning of the movie. But uh, if you can at least see the humor in some of the other parts of it where you normally wouldn't see humor, then I th- again, you're going to enjoy this movie a little bit more. Or if you're just that sadistic and you like this kind of thing, then hey, great on you. 
Great. Uh, also, keep that to yourself, maybe? Yeah. Like, don't tell people that. Yeah. <laughs> You're a sociopath. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Speaking of um, psychopath or sociopath. No, psychopath. So, I saw a video on Facebook today. This is how I'm going to end this episode. So, Ooh. I saw a video on Facebook today. You know, the great source of news. And... Mm. The question was, how do you determine if somebody is a psychopath? So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this story and I'm going to ask you a question and then I want you to give me an answer. Okay. Oh no. I don't like where this is going. All right. You've probably heard this before because I've heard it somewhere. I just can't pinpoint (laughs) where. So a sister attends her mother's funeral. And a guy shows up to pay his respects. And she finds the guy to be so attractive, but she is so afraid to speak to him. And then the guy leaves and never, she never sees him again. So she develops a plan to see him again. How does she do it? Uh... But jeez, um, I feel like I'm overthinking this. She kills her dad, so there's another funeral? That's basically the answer. You're a psychopath. Oh, okay. Oh, great. <laughs> awesome. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, she, she commits murder, so there would be another funeral that the guy would attend. <laughs> Oh, perfect. There you go. Was, all right. So you're a psychopath. Congratulations. All right, guys. Uh, thank you for joining us on this <laughs> wonderful journey through uh, oh, midsummer. Yeah. <laughs> We've determined that um, we are dark, sadistic douchebags, and one of us is at least a psychopath. So um, Learned a lot about ourselves here today. Yes, there's a lot of uh, introspective uh, research here. Uh, but uh, we've I had a lot of fun with too. this, this uh, episode. This was a good time. Um, I agree with you. Maybe next time we should pick a lighter movie. Yeah, I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> I'm very sorry. <laughs> Got him the word. Well, you know, Gremlins was light. Gremlins. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Or <laughs> yeah. It's not our fault that Ari Oster makes these like really dark movies. Um, <laughs> but yes, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me on this one, Stephen. This was a lot of fun. Uh, great movie to talk about. And uh, I look forward to doing this again. Me too. It was a lot of fun. All right, guys. Well, uh, join us next time. I've already forgot what movie we're talking about. Oh, we're not talking about a movie next time. Aha. We are talking about... A director. So, you know, how at the beginning of every episode, I always say, you know, we talk about different films or filmmakers that influence our impact our lives or influence our love for movies, but we haven't actually ever talked about a filmmaker. We're finally doing it, guys. We're doing an Alfred Hitchcock talk. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Oh, I'm super excited about that. It's the first time I'm hearing about that. That sounds exciting. Yes, it's really exciting. So my buddy Keegan is going to be joining me on this one. He last joined us for a cure for wellness. So now we are going to be talking Alfred Hitchcock. We've picked a few movies of his to highlight, but we're really going to try to keep it as broad and general as possible because Alfred Hitchcock is a master Mm -hmm. of horror and also produced the first movie that showed a working toilet. 
I was just about to cite that as a fun fact. That is a fun fact. I love that. <laughs> Psycho is a great movie. It is great. All right, guys. Uh, so uh, continue to be safe out there because I don't think coronavirus is going away anytime soon. And I will see you at the movies. Bye.